0: let heads. Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your patience, and your love toward us always. We thank you for another day to be alive and to gather together as your church, as your body, and we ask that you bless this time together, that we understand your message for us through your Holy Spirit. Father, also, most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that you sent him down to earth to become true humanity, so that he could take our place of judgment on the cross. What an amazing, indescribable show of love, and we ask that you help us never be familiar with what you've done for us. We ask your blessing upon everything that goes on this evening. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, and by the power of the Spirit we pray. Amen. The Gospel of Salvation and Sanctification, Part 72. We talked about on Sunday, and even a couple lessons before that, about the idea of personifying faith. And if faith were a person, would he be comfortable operating in things that he could see already? Or would he literally be uncomfortable with that, as we're often uncomfortable with the unseen things? Would faith, if he were a person, much more prefer operating in unseen things? After all, that's what faith does. That's what faith was made to do. That would be faith's spiritual gift, if you will. So, let's remind ourselves of the power of faith. Faith thrives when facing the unseen things. And the good news is, we all, as believers in Christ, have been granted a measure of faith. Everyone listening to my voice that considers themselves a believer in the Lord, you have faith. You've been given faith. That's how you became a believer. And you have a certain measure of it. So we're not to shy away or doubt um, the ability to live by faith. We already have this gift from God. And faith even thrives uh, greater and stronger when facing the unseen things. So I hope that encourages you. We all, by grace, have been granted faith by God. Yes, in different measures. And I believe we all have different types of faith. When we talk to one another, when you have conversations with other believers, do you not at sometimes wonder at their faith? or their brand of faith, maybe we should say? Do you ever just kind of, are you ever taken aback by somebody else's faith? And say, wow, not only did I not look at it that way, but look, look at their courage in this moment or whatever that I don't have or haven't had and it goes both ways there's different areas that your faith is stronger in let's say but isn't it beautiful to see that in other people and I think we really have these different versions of faith or whatever you want to call it we have different measures of faith our faiths might be different but the encouraging point is that we all have a version of it and it's by the grace of God alone so enjoy that and, and be excited about that and let, it, let yourself be encouraged. Having faith in the unseen is necessary to bring glory to God. May we never forget that, right? The only thing, the, the, the main way of bringing glory to God in this life is having faith in the unseen things. And when things are not fair and when things are not um, understandable, what we're going through. That is the opportunity to bring glory to God, even though we're tempted to doubt in our flesh. So if you remember last week, the point came up that it's arrogant to doubt God, and here we are wanting peace, wanting the peace of Christ, and yet we're we're doubting, and the Bible says you must be steadfast in mind, you must stand firm in the faith if you want to enjoy the peace of God, right? Right? So to doubt is actually arrogant. But then to have faith is an act of humility. Trusting God even when you don't see. Let's look at uh, an an example of godly faith we saw on Sunday morning in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 verse 11. So again, having faith in the unseen is necessary to bring glory to God in this life. And that includes the attitude in Philippians 4, verse 11 through 13. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Only a faithful person will humbly cling to that. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's a faith decision right there in that moment of time, whatever you might be going through, whatever seems impossible. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Not only do you possess that faith right now, but you possess a lot more than that even. In our minds, we often get trapped into thinking backwards, to thinking opposite of God. We think God hasn't provided certain things to us yet as His children. So we don't have confidence maybe. But the Bible says faith unlocks God's power in us. It's not that God will give us everything we need. He has already given us everything we need. And we can access that by faith. So we need to not be gun-shy about having faith or about things that we don't think we can handle because we're buying the lie. Even if it's something we've never been through before, something that seems insurmountable that you don't think you could ever deal with or ever get through. That's where faith comes in. And in humility, operating that faith, we can overcome everything and anything. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Please go to Ephesians 1, 3. Again, faith is what unlocks God's power in us. He's already given us all we need. The Bible says it in Ephesians 1.3, for example. We just need to choose to operate in faith. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We already possess everything we need. And faith unlocks things in us that we don't even know we possess, let's say. We haven't experienced yet. Faith unlocks everything. It opens the doors for you to literally move mountains. So we considered on Sunday the perfectly faithful God-man, Jesus Christ, and how he was able not to sin even though as a man he could have given his free will and being tempted in the devil's world. Jesus truly became one of us, and he could have given in, so to speak, to that temptation. temptation. We talked on Sunday about sin ability in the Latin, and just three phrases that you you might hear even sometimes reading some uh, biblical books. Non possi peccari means not... Able to sin, and that speaks of God himself, who is unable to sin in his perfection. Posse non means able not to sin. Able not to sin, and this speaks of Jesus in his humanity. He was able not to sin, even though he was tempted to and could have with his free will. And even us, as the regenerate believers, were able not, not to sin, at least at times when we're walking by the Spirit. And then there's non posse non-pecari, which means not able not to sin. And that speaks of the unregenerate, the unbeliever. They literally don't, how not, don't know how not to sin. It's so natural to sin. All right? And that's the way it is, until, until they believe in Christ and get the power of Christ to be able not to sin. So, first of all, Jesus is the only human being to master this, we saw on Sunday, to be able not to sin perfectly. And that was by faith. How did Jesus do it? By faith, as a human being. We saw Hebrews 4.15, which says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Tempted in all things as we are. He had to be. To be qualified to go to the cross in our place, he had to be tempted just like we are, but to say no to all those things. So in that pure perfection that he accomplished through his 33 years, he was fully sufficient to satisfy God the Father. Right? So he was able not to sin every day of his life. There we see perfect faithfulness. And don't just say Jesus was able not to sin because he was God, because he had to become true humanity. That's not what Hebrews 4.15 is talking about. And as Pastor mentioned, we'd have a problem reconciling Scripture if we were thinking it was God, that he was acting in his deity and not sinning. We saw James 1.13, which says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. But we just saw that Jesus in his humanity was temptable in Hebrews 4.15. So that couldn't be his deity, right? had to be his humanity because God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. So Jesus as a human being was tempted more than any of us because he did become true humanity and resisted temptation, was able not to sin the whole way. He was able to take our place in judgment. And we are called to imitate his faith. Will we ever be perfect in this life? No. But we're called to imitate his faith, to follow his example. So even though we won't be perfect in, li- in this life, we're called to reach for the stars, so to speak, spiritually. How many times do we limit ourselves or condemn ourselves and give in too easily to sin, for example? Or give in to the fact that we'll never be perfect, so therefore our as will not even try. Is that the right attitude? Is that the attitude of imitating Christ? Or, or should it be a very positive attitude, the opposite direction, saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can overcome this temptation, even though I didn't think I could. We're thinking wrongly, we're thinking negatively, when we have all the power in the world through faith at our fingertips. So we're to imitate Christ's faith and reach for the stars, so to speak. We should not use the old sin nature as an excuse, but rather turn to the light in us. We have the power of God in us, and it's unlocked by faith. Jesus lives inside of us. I mean, think about the first time you learned that. Maybe years ago in Bible study. That the Bible says the Father, the Son, and the Spirit actually indwell your body. Do you remember that feeling of, or that recognition of, almost invincibility maybe? That recognition of that you have divine power in you and you you could do anything. And that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So why or how, how come we don't operate in that simple faith every day? It's just something to think about. <clears throat> you know, Jesus said by faith we can move mountains, right? By faith you can move mountains. Why? Faith is a gift of God. So we're not taking any credit for it, right? We're not, we're not claiming ability to move mountains, We're saying if we trust in God, He will move the mountain for us. And we all have faith. Different versions, different measures, but we all have faith. And when we decide in humility to act in faith instead of in doubting, He can do anything in our lives. And bring Himself glory, and people around you will be watching and be amazed. Turn, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Let's just read a passage about our calling to imitate Christ and to even be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew five forty-three. You have heard, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's where God is taking us. Remember pastor said a couple weeks ago God's taking us to love? Remember that? What's this passage about? Love your enemies. Now that is impossible without faith. That is impossible without the power of God in you. To truly love your enemy. To be like Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. The ones who just nailed these spikes into my body. Truly, I want you to forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's supernatural faith. So God is taking us there towards perfect, if you will. Towards perfect love. As he sanctifies us by faith, we're becoming more and more like Christ. And at the time of our death, wouldn't it be nice to say that we were humble enough to live by faith and be very close to that line he's asking us to walk on? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to say that when we come face to face with him? And every single one of us in this room are still alive for a reason. God's not done with us yet, right? And who knows exactly how much time we each have, but guess what? you got enough time to make some changes to decide in humility to walk by faith. Maybe like never before, instead of doubting and condemning yourself. It's not about us anyway, right? We're not saying that we have the ability to have faith. We're asking for faith. And He's giving us more and more in our humility. So wouldn't it be great when we meet the Lord to be able to say that we walked by faith right up to that line of perfection not in it we can never do that on earth but just really close to that line that we imitated Christ in a very Christ-like manner let's say as a habit in our lifestyle for example actually loving our enemies that's a place of maturity right actually loving our enemies How impossible, yet how possible it is with God. Pastor Collins wrote a blog uh, quite a while ago now called Our Asymptotic Existence. hope I pronounced that right. Which you can find on the publications page on the website in his book, The Diary of a Journeyman. If you remember, that book came out last year, right? It's a summary of all the blogs, and they're all categorized even by topic. So you can find what you might be looking for. And in this blog... You might remember it had to do with God maturing us more and more by grace and drawing us closer and closer to that perfect line of living like Christ. All right? And you might remember this diagram. <clears throat> There's an asymptote. That line, consider it the perfection of God. Being perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Or the perfection of Christ, Right? And if you look at the lines, getting closer and closer on the right side of the diagram. And they will continue, right off the page, to get closer and closer in this life. They'll never touch, because in this body we'll never be absolutely perfect like God. But, He calls us to that standard, to... Aspire, for lack of a better word, by faith to that standard. He's taking us to love, right? I mean, we put limits on ourselves, and rightly so if you're thinking about your fleshly ability. But we should not be putting any limits on where God can take us through faith. And we do ourselves damage. All things are possible with God, right? Right? The impossible things are possible with God. So God is infinite, so we'll never touch that line of perfection, but we can get closer and closer and closer and closer, maybe to a point where it's immeasurable, where the human eye maybe can't see any difference. And maybe, just maybe, that's us living like Christ in the world and people seeing it for something supernatural. That's the direction God is pulling us in by grace. Not by your human ability or intellect, but by grace this is all possible. Because the humble receive more grace, even beyond what you think you could receive. And then these things are possible that you never thought you could get by. So to quote Pastor's blog, He said, consider God's desire for his children as the asymptote. In other words, his desire is for all of us to be perfected. The Bible often uses the words complete or perfect to describe God's ultimate goal for man. God's taking us to maturity, if you want to look at it that way. Towards perfection, always. That's where he's taking us, by grace, And that's how the worst sinner can become an Apostle Paul. How is that possible when you look at Saul's life, right? By grace, Paul was humble enough to receive more and more and do some things that were unimaginable. So we're able to be like Christ in this life. We're able not to sin when we walk by grace through faith. We're able not to give in to temptations. Uh, We're able to focus on the light instead of the darkness, which we'll get to. But again, faith is what unlocks God's power in us. Despite the weakness of our flesh and having an old sin nature, we have the power of God in us. And when we humbly walk by faith, We can live a life we never thought we could live. All right? Just think about that for a minute. We can live a life we never thought we could live. Don't think of worldly uh, standards, accomplishments, um, success in the world. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about living a a supernatural life, a Christ-like life that we never thought we could live. Certain things that we never thought we could get by. Um, Certain gifts... We never thought we could function in, maybe. We can have victories in this life that we never thought we could have. might be conquering a sickness by faith, allowing God to work through you, maybe perform a miracle in your life. I don't know. But we can have victories in this life we never thought we could have. Some of us get down on ourselves too much and we're thinkly, thinking in fleshly terms when we do that. All right? We're focusing on the flesh. You think there are certain things you will never be able to conquer. And that is fleshly, earthly thinking. That's stupid thinking. Right? I mean, there's certain things that, that drag me down at times, and I'm like, ugh, I'm never going to beat this thing. But what, what, where's that coming from? That's the flesh. So stop that. It's wrong. It's not spiritual thinking. You know? It's not walking by faith. And there's certain people in your life that'll say, they'll never beat that. Certain friends, quote-unquote, in your life, in your your surrounding of your life, that are looking at you saying, they'll never beat that. They say they're Christian. And one day... If you walk by grace through faith, you're going to beat that thing. And they have no choice but to give glory to God or recognize God's power in you. You see? Because it's not you that beats that thing. It's you in humility relying on grace by which he gives you even more faith, by which all things are possible. Right? That chain of events that is possible by faith. So again, we're talking about the power of faith again. And faith has the power to take us everywhere in this life and anywhere if it's in Christ. Paul wasn't a good speaker. And here God says, go, preach the gospel to every corner of the the world. Who knows, every day of his life, Paul might have had to speak in front of people. It's possible. And here he is, not a good speaker. So how did that happen? God's power. We walk by faith and not by sight. And if we do that, it's pretty fun and exciting, actually, because God lets you do things that you never thought you could do. And life is not boring whatsoever. So the issue for us as believers is walking by faith, as we saw in Galatians 5:16 and 17. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You won't. You'll be able not to sin when you walk by the Spirit, just like Jesus. You'll be able not to sin when you walk by the Spirit because you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The flesh does set its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They're in opposition to one another so that you won't do the things you please. What's more powerful? The Spirit of the flesh. Seriously. It's just us getting in the way, isn't it? And choosing not to operate by faith. So, concentrate on this uh, concept that came up on Sunday. And please remember pastor's vehicle analogy here. If walking is analogous to being transported from point A to point B, which is something that happens to humble people by faith, then the big question that came up is, where are we being transported to? God is not random about his course for us, right? Right? He's not random. He's it's not, not going to leave us alone in the desert and say, find your way. He's going to light up a path and say, this is the way I want you to go. He gives us directions if we're listening. He helps us in every possible way by grace through faith and only through faith. So we talked about walking directions and how since most people don't know where to begin looking, especially as a new believer, God gave us spiritual gifts for the specific purpose of guiding believers, telling believers, guiding them which direction to go, walk in, telling them which way to go, right? Ephesians four eleven through 12, God gave apostles, prophets, pastors, and evangelists to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, right? Equip the saints for what? The work of the ministry, whatever that might be for them. So God's giving us directions through His Word and His Spirit and even through certain spiritual gifts. And in Romans chapter 12, there's also the gift of teacher that I believe He has me operating in right now to help equip you. So God provides all these directions for us to walk by faith in and to go in the right direction. We all need walking directions. So in our running analogy... That we've been hearing the last couple lessons, we have humility leading to faith, leading to walking, educated or guided by spiritual gifts, and then we're going to a certain destination. That's what we've been talking about lately that destination. It's not a pointless walk, there's a specific small target we're all walking towards. And that is spreading the gospel. That's our ultimate mission, our co-mission with Christ and from Christ. But in Matthew 7, 7, a person must seek to find, right? And since we're talking about directions, men, once in a while you should stop the car and ask for directions. Arrogance, right? I know how to get there. That's us, believers. I'll do it my way. Because I'm not going to drop this and I'm not going to drop this. I'm going to bring this along with me. So I'm going to make my own directions. A person must seek to find. He must ask. And it will be given to him, right? Ask directions. And God's dying to give us directions. The humble. Some people would rather... Also, just learn. Learn the Word of God. Call it a day. But as pastors has been saying, what benefit is there to filling up your gas tank and then not using the fuel to go somewhere fruitful? I mean, how dumb is that, right? Imagine a hot summer day. You go to fill up your gas tank. It's 95 degrees out. You fill up your gas tank but you don't go to the beach. You sit in the parking lot with a soda and sweat in your car. How dumb is that? Unless your car is not driving. But your car is driving, is the point. We have full fuel. We, we get fixed up in the garage. In our local assembly, we get encouraged. Even we get we go out, we get beat up, we drive somewhere, we do a mission, we come back. We get fixed up, we get encouraged. And... How dumb to, to get fixed up and just sit on it. Right? <laughs> All I like your pictures of the movie Grease. Everyone's sitting on their cars, you know, doing what they do back in the 60s or 50s or whatever. The Lord wants us to drive to the beach, He wants us to drive with what He gave us and not <clears throat> waste what He's provided. So we're literally only going halfway, I would say, right? Maybe in our analogy. We're going halfway by going to the station and filling up and then not going anywhere to do something with it. The Great Commission is staring us in the face, right? Jesus is like, this is all I want you to do. It's simple. I've come. I've shown you who I am. I've died for you on the cross. Now go out there and tell everybody the good news. Go share my story. Simple. Simple. And yeah, we lack courage at times, and that's okay, but what is courage? It's just faith applied, right? So he'll give you that by grace if you ask him. And God might let us witness right where he has us. He might let us go to places that we like. You ever think of that? He might say, go to the beach, go ahead. But go with a different purpose in mind than you used to. Go with a purpose of finding some lost people. Instead of being self absorbed at the beach, what about being absorbed with others at the beach? You know, concern for others at the beach. Maybe asking God for an opportunity while you're doing this thing you enjoy, whether it be a hobby or whatever, but instead of it being totally about self, being about God and others. And He'll still let you do the things you enjoy. What is God like a taskmaster? He's saying, I don't want you to have any fun. Or is he saying, I want you to live life and enjoy life, but do it for me and for, for others. Bring the Great Commission with you, in other words, wherever you go. You see? It's a, it's, a, it's a marvelous, purposeful calling we have that has eternal value. But it depends on our motivation. If we love him, we will seek to do his will in all activities. And a primary part of his will is the Great Commission. Go, spread the good news. So there's nothing more fun and fulfilling in life than reaching somebody with the good news. Is there? Can you think of one person throughout your life that you affected that actually listened and got it? Can you think of somebody? And the happiness you get out of that, the fulfillment you get out of that, the joy and the peace you get out of that, is nothing like it. And I know not everyone says yes, not everybody is amiable or receiving of the truth, but so what? And then when you're persecuted, what does the Bible say? Go on rejoicing that you were just persecuted for the name of Christ. In God's eyes, that's a wonderful, beautiful victory. Right, So we need to stop being scared and operate by faith because there's nothing greater or more fun or more exhilarating we could do than to actually reach somebody with the good news. So the Bible is very clear on this subject, as we've been noting. It's the primary reason that God leaves us on earth after salvation. So we all have to ask ourselves, are we stalled? And I think we all are to some degree. Some have stalled and fallen short by wrongly supposing that the end goal is simply to keep learning and learning and learning. And that's halfway there. It's not using what God gives you. It's totally using it for self only. Which, granted, you have to come back here and get fixed up and get uh, uh, recharged, if you will, or fill up your gas tank for your own spiritual growth and your own spiritual walk. And that spiritual walk, when it gets replenished, is designed to be used out there and even used up out there so that we can come back again for a a fill. What good is it if you come back and you're not spending the fuel, right? What a waste. You're going to come back and put $1 in the tank every time? Because, you know, I think something we don't realize is how much we learn when we go out and spend it. How much we grow when we go out and spend it. You don't go out and spend it. You're holding it all in. And as pastors has been alluding to subtly, I think, over the months, by experience is where we learn a ton about ourselves and about the truth and about life. By operating in it, by stepping out on faith and trying things or or reaching people, that's where we learn a bunch, even about ourselves, which we need to learn, and we only learn it by experiencing it. So we can't be gun-shy. You know, he's with us, he's in us. He's like, just trust me, just try it, right? We've talked about the next slide on the screen. Go for it, right? Right? There's a ton to learn, but but we're holding ourselves back. When you come back in here and you only take another gallon of gas, because that's all you have room for, you would have so much room to understand so much more new f- new filling, if you will, because you spent a bunch out there. You would have more room for more, because the experience can now be coupled with the new knowledge. There's a supernatural thing that takes place, but it doesn't take place fully for those that don't go out and spend it. So this is not in my notes either. I don't know, you know what, what he's getting at, but there's, a, there's a, a stark reality that unless we go out and experience these things, we're missing out on wisdom. You can have all the knowledge you want, but you're missing out on wisdom unless it's applied in life. So <clears throat> we know that coming to church is not the ultimate goal. It's getting out there. It's evangelizing as if there's no tomorrow. Just having that attitude. Because there might not be a tomorrow. Live in the imminent return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5. He could come back any time. It is imminent. And if he doesn't come back and the rapture doesn't happen in your life, you could die tomorrow, right? So evangelize like there's no tomorrow. And someone's life does depend on it. You and I have the privilege of stepping in that pathway. And as the Bible says, snatching some from the fire. We have that opportunity and privilege in the few days of our lives. And remember, Jesus himself said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you. He said that right after he said, go. Make disciples. He reminded them. He reminds us. He's with us and in us. So just go. Watch what I can do in you. You can't do it. You're absolutely right. But watch what I can do in you. Just look at Paul. So we are to take courage because he has overcome the world. He'll fill your mouth even if you're humble and willing to obey the Great Commission. Let us be sober and walk forward in his plan. First Thessalonians 5.8 but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. There we see again, faith, hope, and love, by the way. When we put on those things, we are invincible spiritually. If you put on faith, hope, and love, nothing can touch you. If, even if someone's torturing you, nothing can touch you because you have You have Him. You're operating like Christ. So we should encourage one another and abide in our Lord's own words. Go again to Matthew chapter 28, please. Matthew 28, verse 18. One of the reasons we gather together like this is to recharge our batteries, so to speak, but also to encourage one another. You're not only filled up by the word from the pulpit. You're filled up by the presence of each other, the encouragement from one another, the sharing with one another. You know, Even me sharing in the beginning before service about the different attacks that I've had in the last two weeks, that's letting me almost get it off my chest maybe, right? How many times do we just need to do that? Just share it with somebody what you're going through. And then someone, you know, usually in this church will give you an encouraging word back, hopefully. (laughs) Be like, good, keep going. Right? And that goes a long way. And, and and we're each needed to do that for each other. And you're able to go back out there and say, can't say what I want to say. <laughs> the heck with the world. The heck with Satan. And I'm going back out there straight into it again. Because I'm refilled. You see? And I want to do it again. Because my brethren encourage me that they're going through the same thing. You see? And It's a beautiful thing, the way God built this thing, to operate as a body. And even the Great Commission, we should do together. Look at Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go, therefore. Go for it. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't forget that part. So in our running car analogy, we have humility leading to faith, leading to walking by faith, being educated or guided by spiritual gifts. And then finally, the Bible gives us our destination or our purpose in life. Where we're walking towards is evangelizing people, and teaching them what he commanded, making disciples. If you ask, if you ask, God will open these doors for you and give you wisdom and courage to do it, if you ask. But you have to be humble enough to ask. Stop and ask directions. He will give us opportunities also to just plant seeds here or there, which can be quite fun. Even if you don't get a full opportunity to uh, give somebody the full gospel, let's say, because every situation is different, right? But you might get the chance to plant a seed with somebody and move on. The big question is, are you willing? What's your purpose when you're going out to the beach? Is it all for self? Or is it, God, you know, use me wherever I go. Thank you for letting me do some fun things in life, letting me do my hobbies, letting me enjoy life. Thank you for that. And you know what? Because of that and your grace, I want to do your will wherever I am. So, you know, I'm asking for an opportunity. It takes courage. But again, remember that courage is simply faith applied. I have a gift for evangelism. Do you think that I don't have times when I don't have the courage to speak up to somebody? It happens more often than I care to admit. But what is that? It's a lack of faith at that moment. And we all suffer from that disease, right? We do. But that's okay. God's working on us. And by grace, in humility, as we ask, he gives us more grace, more faith. And you have less and less of those times where you lack courage. Because you start seeing things differently. He opened your eyes. So faith applied. That's all it is. By grace, he gives it to us freely. So at the same time that our commission is the Great Commission, and that is our ultimate direction and and, and that we're walking in, right? Pastor encouraged us to not get lopsided either. We all have purposes in this very ministry. We all have a variety of gifts to contribute to the auto shop here so that this runs well, so that we can come back and get filled up, right? Without any hitches, without there being no gas to be, fill, to be filled with, right? <clears throat> Everything's going to be here and is here, functioning very well, due to uh, everyone, in, everyone in this congregation who somehow participates, who somehow has a gift. And again, don't forget, even attending, even your attendance is a gift and and, and allows your gift to show forth, even if you don't know what it is. Even just encouragement goes a long way. So turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Let's just take another look at this concept. And that is the concept that we all have gifts that function in a variety of ways. And I think... When you read this passage, think of infinity, okay? Think of, in, of an infinity worth of ways that gifts can function because I think we can't count the number. Look at 1 Corinthians twelve four. Now there are a variety of gifts or varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why didn't God just stop in verse 4? There are a variety of gifts. Why did He say there are a variety of ministries? There are a variety of effects. There's so many different ways for a spiritual gift to function that you can't put God in a box. And you each have a different way to apply your gift. Five people can have the same exact gift, all applied in five different manners. And God knows what he needs to do with each one in the intricacy of the body. It's awesome. So don't get lopsided because you're all needed to make this local assembly function well so that we're all able to go out there and drive in the right direction towards the Great Commission. So we're being sanctified as evangelists. If spreading the good news is our chief objective, which it is, then we must also ask ourselves what exactly might be the reason we're we're not doing more of it. We have to be humble and ask ourselves that. And you know what? We can start condemning ourselves, but don't do that. Don't, don't, Don't do it. Gee, I haven't been doing this. And I know I should, but I haven't. Don't do that to yourself. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Look forward and be like, what do you want me to do now? And why? Let me objectively examine why aren't I doing more of it. We can get caught up in self-sanctification instead of praying to God for wisdom. We can get caught up in the world and get occupied with the things of the world. And that's all it is. Let's recognize it. Let's call it what it is so that we can move on. Do we have the wrong occupation at times? Yes, we do. And I'm not talking about your job. I'm talking about what are you occupied with? What are you not doing when you're losing sleep over the details of life? You're not spreading the gospel, as Pastor Sheeran on Sunday, right? It's almost like you can, you can only do one or the other in a way. You can only serve God or money, right? So if, you, if all your time is occupied with the details of life, you have no time to be occupied with the Great Commission, right? So we have to turn from the darkness and turn to the light. We have to stop trying to defeat the darkness on our own power because Christ already did that, and we need to turn to the light and go forward, you know? Pastor also mentioned, you know, a couple other things to consider. What are you not doing when you're spending all your time building your self esteem through worldly accomplishments, trying to make yourself something? You're not spreading the gospel if that's what you're occupied with. That's the wrong occupation. What are you not doing when you're sitting in front of the TV for hours and hours, passively taking in stuff, let's say, politely? You're not spreading the gospel. So, like, there's only so much time in a day. You're not spreading the gospel if you're occupied with all those things. We need to get off the fence and make a choice in our daily habits, let's say, right? Let's admit it. We all have daily habits we probably should examine, maybe change. Hmm. I remember in the past I had put a blanket over my TV for times, so I wouldn't even see it was there. And, I, of course, I knew it was there, but you know what I mean. Because what's the habit? When you walk in the door, sit on the couch, turn on the remote? Is that the habit? So how about breaking the habit somehow? How about restructuring your life somehow if you need to? If, it's, if you're a slave to it now. You know, if you can watch TV, if you can watch your favorite program and not, not let it affect you and watch good things for your soul or whatever, if you can do that thing and, and have it just be a break in the day, awesome. Awesome. But if you're a slave to anything, like that, maybe just maybe you don't have time to spread the gospel, or to think about others, or to call somebody who needs it, because you're like this in front of TV, like a zombie. Have you ever watched somebody watch TV? (laughs) Isn't it scary? I mean, I've watched if you if you if you're looking from the other room and you watch somebody staring at the screen, you don't realize that's what you look like when you're the one watching TV. You look like a zombie. You look like you're in a trance, and it's really, you may not be, but you are getting sucked in, so to speak, and wrapped and wrapped and wrapped to a place of occupation, maybe. Too much. So, no time for the gospel. Oh, well. Hmm. Is that what we're going to say when we meet God? How's this for perspective? In our few days left on earth, what will be our final legacy in God's eyes? Let's just say that God came down, presented us with an angel and said, you got to the end of June. I'm giving you a hint. You got to the end of June. So if you're wise, you'll make the most of it because you're going to see Jesus very soon. Isn't that statement true other than not knowing the exact day? So in your few days left on earth, what's going to be your final legacy in God's eyes? Life's so short. Will we be able to say like Paul, I fought the good fight. I kept the course. Right? I finished the race. Are we going to be able to honestly say that on our deathbed, for example? Or honestly say that when we see Jesus? Many of us cannot say that right now. But there's always tomorrow. There's always faith. And there's always more faith to be given to you by grace. If you ask for it. So we're not, we're called to be separate from the world, right? We're called to be separate from the world. We're in the world, but not of it. We're called to be separate from being occupied with anything in the world, even good things. Even if you, there's a certain political agenda that you think is good and even biblical. But if you're occupied with that, instead of spreading the gospel, you're off base. You're going down the wrong road, right? <clears throat> it's like taking the long way to the beach. It's, it's a waste of time. And God's saying, don't be occupied with the things of the world. You're a citizen of heaven. What did the Lord say about taxes, right? In Luke twenty twenty five, he said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Fine. Render to God the things that are God's. Jesus never said, let's intermingle our currency. Did he? He said in Revelation 3, buy from me gold refined by fire. There's only so much time left. Buy from me gold refined by fire. So we're to be ambassadors for Christ instead of getting occupied with the things in the world. Like politics. What did Jesus do? He evangelized the politicians. He didn't even go tell them they were wrong. He didn't go chastise them for their beliefs and how it's anti-biblical. He went and evangelized the politicians. One example might be Pilate, right? But what about the tax collectors? 2,000 years ago, they might be considered politicians, They were Jews that chose to go against their own people for power and money. They worked for the Romans. And maybe for political aspirations, definitely for the love of money, they became tax collectors. And what did Jesus do? Let's close with these two passages. Go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus evangelized them. He didn't waste time with the wrong occupation Matthew 9, nine. Jesus went on from there he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth and he said to him follow me and he got up and followed him pretty cool go to Luke chapter 19 Luke 19, verse 1. This is one of my favorite events in the Bible. And it's not because Zacchaeus was short. <laughs> Luke 19, 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name, name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble saying he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What did Jesus come to do? Seek and save that which was lost. A rich, trader, tax collector, but a humble man who knew he needed salvation. Jesus said to him, let's go, I'm coming to your house. Follow me, come with me. By the way, as we close, what do true believers do? True believers follow him. And we get into this a while back. Look at Zacchaeus. What was the evidence of his salvation? He said in verse 8, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone, I'll give back four times as much. What was he doing? He was actually following. His faith produced something in him, right? There's an evidence that's produced from true saving faith. What do our Lord's sheep do? They follow. It's a characteristic. It's a sign that someone's heart is changed. So let's actually close with John chapter 10, verse 22 through 28. I want you to see something that the Spirit pointed out to me that I never really saw before, but it's plain and it's right there for the taking. <clears throat> Both of these men, Matthew and Zacchaeus, they immediately followed Jesus. And it was just a sign that they had true faith. Look at John 10, 22. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ... Tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. Notice this first part of this passage. You do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Okay? Now what's the opposite of believing? Or what's the opposite of not believing? Look at verse 27. My sheep... Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What do sheep do? They not only hear his voice, they follow him. It's a very humbling and beautiful reality because it means a heart has been changed. It's evidence of a changed heart. These are the characteristics and descriptions of believers that we find in Scripture. We studied this months ago that uh, believers will have some type of obedience in their life, some type of love, some type of following Him because it's the opposite of not believing. And how many times do we see that in the Scriptures where it'll say, those who do not obey me will be condemned. Those who obey me will have eternal life. Why? Because someone that really believes in Christ, in some way, shape, or form, obeys Him or follows Him. It's a beautiful truth in the Scriptures. And evidence of our security in Christ. So who cares about politics, right? Who cares about all these things that we get wrapped up with and occupied with in the world? Life is short. Participate in the Great Commission before it's too late and you're, you're unable to say that you did so to him. God's got everything under control. Be a good citizen, obey authority, vote, pay your taxes, and be at peace. Be occupied with the right thing, which is that path, that direction he's put us on to walk by faith, to obey the Great Commission. And finally, embrace his peace. As the Lord said in John 14, 27, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And if we operate by grace through faith, we will have His peace, right? If we stand firm in the faith, we're going to have His peace. It just takes humility, though, and a willingness to ask directions. Amen? All right, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your wonderful word, and we thank you for showing us how it all comes together so perfectly. Help us to operate in the unity of the faith. Help us to go forward in your direction towards the Great Commission, and give us the faith and courage to do so, Father. We thank you for the opportunity and privilege to participate in this Great Commission, in this great plan so that when we get to heaven we can rejoice with you saying that we operated like Christ and just give you praise forever and ever. We ask that you bless us all as we go. Help us take these truths out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.